tonight, I have one big question for you tonight. And I, I think it's so easy for a person to miss this. They're not careful. But the big question that I have tonight is, do you matter? And if you do, how much do you matter? Now, I had an interesting experience some years ago. And I was um, trying to connect up with a friend who is really well known. And um, we just couldn't make it work. It, we just really couldn't make it work. And I remember saying, and this wasn't a pity party. This was a moment of, I guess, um, reality check, uh, an honest moment, whatever you want to call it. But I remember saying to myself, in the world that he lives in, the things he's trying to do I don't matter. I don't help him achieve those goals and objectives. Those are not my priorities, and I am not his. Now, that's not a pity party. We just, I, I just came to a moment and said, well, that's, this is not meant to be. Now, here's what I, I think is important. I thought that was a healthy, mature moment for me. Do you know that sometimes you call people, they don't have time for you? That uh, it, it can cost them money to talk to you because they have things to do, places to go. It's not a put down. You, you look at your phone. Let, let's have an honest moment. Have you ever looked at your cell phone and, or your caller ID and saw a name on there or a number? You say, I, I can't take that call right now. <laughs> Raise your hand if you did that before. Well, why'd you do that? Well, why'd you be so, why were you so mean? No, I just, I can't take that call right now. Right now, this matters more than that. It is extremely important in life to understand the importance of balancing out what matters. There are some people who don't want to hear your sad story again. They've heard it. Every time they see you, it's a sad story. And when they see you, their minds say, here comes sad story. You know, your brain works that way. If you come to people two, three, four, five, ten times, their brain puts you in a category. Not them, their brain does. Just like if, if I walk up to you and give you $50,000 every time you see me, what you think you're going to name me? $50,000. And you're going to make sure you see me, don't you? But this is just a dream. Wake up, wake up. You train people how to see you. You train people how to view you. Because the brain is what they call, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, neuroplasticity. You've heard me talk about this before. It's plastic. It, it can be trained. And that's why people sometimes feel the way they feel. You help them feel that way. And so in life, you need to be clear that sometimes, you have trained people that talking to you after so many encounters does not help them. Come to church, you get a sermon. After a while, you say, man, I didn't get anything out of that. I don't know what he said. You try two or three times. After a while, you said, you know, when you see me get up, you say, oh, boy, going to be another confusing hour. 
And, and so you learn how to block those kind of people out. To you, eventually, those sermons don't matter to you. You don't want to buy them, hear them, or be around them. In regards to those that work with you on your job, in regards to your church, your community, your family, what would they lose if they did not have you? What, what, what is it about your life that makes you valuable? Now, this is, can be bad for some people because for us, you're already so insecure. This is not helping you at all. But you said nothing, nothing. They wouldn't lose anything. I might as well just forget living because now I'm not trying to take you there. Come on, say amen if you're hearing me. I'm ultimately trying to show you how to matter. But I want you to first start out with the honest, honest answer to a question, do you really matter? To those around you, if you were not to go to work tomorrow, would the place miss you? Would they say, oh, man, we, we, can't, we can't hardly operate. We, we, just, we need their skill. Why should they keep you employed? Do you matter that much? To this community, do you matter? To your family, what contribution do you make to the whole of who they are? I want to show you 12 men that mattered. 12 men that mattered, and I want to show you why they mattered. 12 disciples. And it's in the book of Matthew chapter 10. And I, this is just one of those great places where Jesus went out and he got 12 guys together. And I want you to follow this. God's goal is to change the world. God's goal is to try to change everything, and in order to do that, to bring a harvest to the world, that's what the plan is. He needed to find 12 guys who cared, and he needed to find 12 guys that he can get to go and take charge and make a real difference in the world. Now, these 12 guys are not impressive, but they're incredibly focused. Three, two, three sets of brothers are a part of this team. So it's 12 of them. Half of them are brothers. Amazing, isn't it? Some of you may not have known that. But you have this incredible linkage, family and fire in these 12 disciples. And these guys are, are I mean, fiercely committed. One of them has an issue eventually. But I want you to note with me, 12 men that really made a difference, that really mattered. Number one, notice with me, they were spiritually empowered. Say that with me, please, come on. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 says, And when he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast, out, cast them out, and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. He did not want to send out people who just talked about him. He sent out people who had personal, a personal touch of power in their life. So one thing to talk about God is nothing to have the power of God operating in your life. Secondly, they were not just out there alone. They went out as a team. And I love this. He names them in verse 2. Simon, Peter, there's Andrew, and his brother James, son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip, Bartholomew. I'm saying again, it was Simon, Peter. Get that? Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, 
Thomas, Matthew, tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius. Now, these were two brothers. You didn't know that. John, James, who was James the Lesser, they called him, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus. This guy had about three names, but they were brothers. Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, 12 guys. Three sets of brothers. These were guys who went out like a team. With half of them being raised together as brothers, they already felt like a team. Please notice that's what made them matter. They were not fragmented. They were united. Many of them worked together. I had the privilege when I went to Israel to go to where their homes were. That is an experience. You're standing at Peter's house. Really? Get out. And over there is the Sea of Galilee. Really? Over there? Man, it's like, wow. I mean, all this stuff is close. When you're reading the Bible, it's way out. But when you go there, it's like, okay, and that's where the mountain where Jesus was. And he looked down and saw them on the lake. And that's when he went over. Oh, man, this is amazing. I'm loving all this stuff. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is where they grew up, like a family, like a team. And that's one of the things that made them matter. You know, sometimes we don't matter because we're divided. Your family sometimes will never be effective or matter in the world because you're too divided among yourselves. You will never unite and make a unique difference in the world. Some churches will never matter because you spend all your time fighting with the deacons and the elders, and it's like, oh, please. How could you ever make a difference anywhere if you spend all of your time divided on, in this job? That's why your company will never grow. Your business will never grow. Because you're so divided, there's no team spirit about you. Jesus pulled together a team because he knew that would matter. But notice what he did with the team. He sent them to lost people. I love the way he said it in verse 6. I put it in bold prints for you. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He commanded them, don't go into the lake where the Gentiles. Now, that's, that's, he didn't want them to go to the Gentiles first. I want you guys to go where you're comfortable. I want you to start with people you know. I want you to go to the Jews. And he says, that's your assignment. Then fourthly, they were sent to sick people. Don't just go to people and preach. Go to people and make a difference. Go heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely you give. I want you to go into a town and somebody that was bound is better because you came. I want you to go and cleanse the leper. I want you to go and heal the sick. Now, it's one thing to go with Jesus because when the sick person comes, he goes, all right, Jesus, go for it. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I need you to go and make a difference like you see me making a difference. So number one, they were spiritually empowered. Number two, they were part of a team. Number three, they were sent to the lost. Number four, they were sent to sick people. They were sent, number five, with just enough resources. Now, this part really spoke to me because he said in verse 9, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your bunny bags, Matthew 10 and 9, nor, nor bag for your journey. Don't take a tunic, no sandals, no staff. The Bible says, I'm just underline this because it may not be underlined, I'm underlined it for you, but underline this for, read it with me please, for a worker is what? Worthy of his food. There is a, powerful principle in scripture about the about how God does things 
He often can send you on tremendous missions broke, just on the other side of broke. These disciples were sent. Now, I want you to get a picture of this. Let's pretend I was going to send you on a mission. Um, let's make it close to Savannah, Georgia, Jacksonville. And here's what I want you to go. Now, I'll make it more fun. Let's send you all the way to Orlando. Oh, no, let's go all the way to California. And here's what I want you to do. Don't take any credit cards. Don't take any coats. Don't take any luggage. Don't take your cell phone. I just want you to get in your car. And don't even get extra money for gas, no cash. Just get in your car and drive to California. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Because you got a lot of questions. Where am I going to stay? What am I going to eat? Because here's what he said. He said, on your way, and in this culture it was very common, for you to be hospitable. And he promises them that I want you to know I'm going to provide for you. Now, I want you to note something with me for a moment, because this is important. Luke chapter 22, verse 35 through 30, makes a statement that I don't want you to miss. And that text, and I don't have that written for you, but just write that down, Luke 22, 35 through 36. He said, now on this trip, I want you to learn that I'm faithful. I don't want you to take much. I want you to trust me. Now, when he finished proving the point, he said, pack up your credit cards, take them with you. He said, take your cash with you, take your checkbook with you. He said, and, and then he goes on in that text and said, he said, now, if you, if you, uh, you might even want to pack a weapon. He told them, he said, this is not going to be an easy or safe trip. But I want you to understand that you are not necessarily out of the will of God if you have just enough. Some people think God always wants you to have abundance all the time. Now, I believe that that's the ultimate goal and where you'll end up in time, but you got to understand, there's seasons when that's not true, and you have to learn how to operate on a little bit. You have to learn how to operate on just enough. Everybody say, just enough. <laughs> now, some of you, you need to hear this. Learn how to celebrate just enough. Learn how to celebrate when you have just enough. You, you, you're eating. You, you get, all of you have clothes on. That's important, praise God. And, 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 and you got here some kind of way. Now, you may have gotten here on just enough gas, but you made it. So understand the power of just enough. Everybody say just enough. In order for God to teach you the power of his ability to work in your life, you have to learn how to operate that way. And I, I tell you, I have been in ministry for many years, and I can tell you something that I'm surprised. I'm surprised any church survives. I'm surprised any ministry survives, especially when they're not watching the money. Now, I, I mentor pastors, and they scare me all the time because they don't, they don't know what's in the bank. Uh, they, don't, they don't keep good records. Uh, they don't know anything about accounting. And uh, it's just the walk by faith and hope nothing happens. It's just amazing. And I think a lot of times it is it's just the grace of God. But even churches that do well, that manage well, that have good systems in place. The problem is, you know, when you're managing as many people as we do uh, and you look at the money, if only 30 percent, three out of 10 give, then you're in trouble. I always say if 10 people move in your house and seven don't work and three do, what's, what are you going to do? Some of you say, no, them seven have to go. You can't do that when it's a church. You have to say, well, praise God, we're going to make it. We're going to believe God. It's a miracle that a church can very easily spend 40, 45, the average church is 45% of their income is spent on housing, it's on, on staffing. Now, I want to say this about staffing for a minute. God created the Levitical system, and I'm going to teach on this next month a little bit. God created the tithe for the Levites because he wanted full-time service. He wanted them to have the ability 
to do ministry full time. He wanted them to serve people. That's what the Levitical system is all about. And the tithe funded that. It was the funding of full-time service. So you can help the sick, help the needy, and give it full-time attention. That's what God wanted. He didn't want everybody to have to do it, so he designated a tribe and said the Levites have no inheritance in the land. You don't get any benefits. You don't get any land. When you conquer the land, you don't get anything. He said the tithe is your inheritance. My goal is to bless you so you can focus on ministry. Now, I'm telling you, it makes a huge difference when you have a full-time staff. It makes a huge difference when you're trying to serve people. It's amazing how many people miss out, and that's what God was trying to teach them. He said, I want you to go out here and know the value of your service, and I want those that you serve to value your service. I want them to invest. And the Jewish culture was used to this. They grew up with the Levitical system. They understood hospitality. They understood the power of embracing people. It's nothing for them to invite people in their home. And I've dealt with people who have this powerful spirit of sharing. And, they, and I, when I came into the ministry, when I first came into ministry, I will never forget Joe Ginn. I will never forget that man. That man never saw me a day in his life in Charlotte, North Carolina, when I came from Bible college. That man and his family never saw me a day in life. The pastor came to him and said, we got a young man coming from Bible college, and he needs a place to stay. And uh, we, we, the church didn't have enough money to, to get me a place to stay. They didn't even think about a hotel. See, some churches don't even think about a hotel. Some of you got families like that, right? They don't think about a hotel. When they tell you they're coming, they come into your house. How many of you got families like that? Say amen, right? They come into your house. You know what that means. Get a, get, put something on the floor. It don't matter. We're staying with you, and we're eating what you eat for breakfast. Well, I had never seen this man, and this, this man, this white man, opened his house up, gave the pastor the key, and was gone for a week on vacation or something. I hadn't seen that man. I was there about, about a week, wasn't I? About a week. Uh, and, and, and that man, the pastor came in, showed me around, and his daughter moved his daughter out of the bed, her bedroom. We moved, slept in the daughter's bedroom. And I came, I was in the house, and he walked in about a week later and said, you must be Ricky. I was, I was stunned when he said, you must be Ricky. I said, you must be, yeah. <laughs> Brother Ginn, thank you so much for letting me use your house. Thank you for letting me, gave me a free run, made sure they had food in the house, made sure everything was ready. I mean, and you know when it's somebody else out, you clean it up real good, make sure everything's just right. But I will never forget how kind he was. That's what I mean by hospitality. And God, that spirit was taught to those people. And these people, when they met the disciples, Jesus said, you're worthy of that treatment. You're worthy of the food because of what you're giving them. That's a mindset. That said, you, catch this now, you disciples matter. I want you to go out and serve because you matter. And they should feel a sense of obligation to help you do what you're doing. And don't you apologize for receiving. Don't you apologize for being blessed. That, that's what they're here for. So you have your part, they have their part. Say amen if you got it. Amen. And so they were sent out with just enough resources. But then they were told, this is not permanent. You don't do this forever. You don't do this forever. And I think there's an important balance here. You don't want to spend your life thinking that your job is to, to go out with nothing. He said, now the next time you go, prepare a little more. So they were sent to people. 
They were sent to sick people. They were sent with just enough. Number six, they were sent to people who would not receive them. Now, this is important because whenever you're assigned by God to do something, and whenever you know you matter, whenever you know that what you're saying is right, you believe people are going to receive it. But here's what he said in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 10. When you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not, understand this now, will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house, shake off the dust from your feet. Now, here's what he's saying. Everywhere you go, you will not be received. Come on, say, everybody will not receive me. It's so important to get that right. I don't know why you think everybody should like you. Everybody doesn't like you. Everybody does not like you. Everybody does not like you, and everybody will not like you. Now, believe it or not, everybody doesn't like me. I don't know what's wrong with them, but they don't all like me. And I have learned after years of pastoring, that's part of the job, and especially being publicly known is part of the job. That's just that, that comes with the territory. And people say things, and they guess things, and I'm not going to ask you because I've done this little game before. How many of you heard somebody say something about me? Don't you raise your hand. I don't want to know. But, but, you know, you get, you, if you're not careful, you don't know how to process the fact that everybody doesn't receive from you. But that's okay. Now, th- now I love his attitude. Please Shake the dust off your feet. Now, in, in this day and age, and in that culture, rather, they, and you go to Israel, it's du- I mean, the roads are, are very dusty. I mean, even nowadays, you know, not all over Israel, but in certain parts, you, and your, your feet will get dirty pretty quick. And, uh, and they wore sand- sandals. And so he said, just shake the dust off your feet. Some of you right now, you're worried about somebody that doesn't like your flavor of ice cream. And you know what you need to do? You need to shake the dust off your feet. Now, it doesn't mean you don't love them. doesn't mean you, you, you're mad with them. It just means I cannot let that matter. I cannot allow that to be a part of my life because you can't control that. If you can get this right, you can do something amazing because if you spend too much energy and too much of your mind focused on people that don't like you, you're going to be frustrated. I always tell the story. I was in a restaurant, and these ladies, they were sitting there. And you can tell they didn't like me. I don't know why they didn't like me, because when I came by, they said, whoa, they just would shake. And I thought it was the cutest thing in the world. <laughs> and so every now and then when I'm around people who don't like me, I walk by them so they can shake. I like to watch them shake. Just, just tremble. Go ahead and tremble again. Tremble again. You know, every now and then you just deal with that. And then sometimes people come to you and ask you questions. They, they, they'll stop you and say things to you. And, 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 they just, and they start with an accusation. You know, I want to know why you named the church after you Ricky's Temple. I said, my name is Ricky Temple. Then they just look so awful, like, oh, really? I said, I said, I said you've been hating me for how many years? Because, you know, you waste a lot of years on that one. People just have all kinds of little quirks and things they say. And, and then sometimes it's just a flavor issue. Whatever it is, I cannot let that matter to me. Jesus was telling them, listen, if you're going to do this, if you're going to matter and, and you're going to touch the world the way you are, you have to learn to let things go and shake the dust off your feet. It doesn't mean you mean to people. It just means that you can't let that worry you. You worry too much. Some of you worry too much. You worry too much. I watch this. We do that about a lot of stuff. You know, somebody stopped loving you, and you stop worrying about they don't love you anymore. You just cry all the time. You've been crying for how many years over this person? You just crying. They married again and got 18 children. Why are you worried? Why, why are you still crying? You need to shake the dust off your feet. You need to say, you know, I, I, that job is over with. I lost my job. That job's been gone a long time. That job is over. It's over. It's over. I mean, there are just times in your life when 
You can't control that. You just can't. You know, you go to the, I, I, I like ice cream. I don't get ice cream all the time, but I like ice cream. And I'll go with me some ice cream uh, every now and then. And I, and, uh, but I, I'm, I'm cutting out most sugar. I am. But, but I, I'm holding on to that one a little bit. Praise the Lord. And uh, so my wife and I would go around and treat ourselves, get us some ice cream. And I just don't, I, I can't see myself going in the store telling people what to get. I just can't tell people, no, don't get that flavor. Get this flavor. No, don't get that flavor. Get this flavor. You know, I, was, I, I know how I get when people do me like that, you know. I was, one time I was trying on some shoes. I never would get out in Florida. I was trying on some shoes. And I, ne- I didn't never saw this guy in my life. He said, those are the ugliest shoes. You should not buy those. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say, you crazy. What is your, you, I, I, you know, if I was a cussing man, this is a good place to cuss you right now. What in the world did you say to me? You, I, don't, I didn't know the brother. I'd never seen him. I'd never seen this brother a day in my life. And he looked at me and he said, them is the ugliest shoes. You should not buy them. I like them a little bit too, you know. But you know, I wasn't going to buy a man, you know. <laughs> Sometimes in life, it's just, it's, just, it's just, they don't like it. That's just the way it is. That's just how he is. I'm not going to sit here and fight you and get in the street and tussle with you over there. I, I don't even own these shoes. <laughs> Take the shoes off and just go on about your business. Just, just, I just said, take care, bro. Have a good day. You know, just, just let it go. Shake the dust off your feet. Some of you got some dust on your feet. You need to shake it off. Come on, shake it off. You need to let it go. Let it go. Your children, talk about you after you to raise them. See, parents, you go crazy. You just start, you all of a sudden, you just, you, you out of body experience. But you know what? You can't worry about that. Are you saying shake dust off my feet? <laughs> no, I'm not saying forget your kids. But I'm saying you got to shake that comment off, shake that season off, shake those issues off. You can't allow that to control you. Sometimes... God can't bring a harvest into your life because you stuck with dust on your shoes. These guys mattered because they were, number one, spiritually empowered. They were part of a team. They were sent to lost people. They cared about lost people. They were sent to sick people. They didn't just serve people with messages and sermons. They healed people. People got better when they were around them. Uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't have to have a whole lot of money. They weren't about just a lot of money. They, they, they could go with just enough. They were focused on the mission. Uh, they were sent to people who would not receive them. They understood everybody's not going to receive them. They were mature. Number seven, they were sent to places where they needed to use wisdom. Now, I love verse 16 because sometimes I think Christians aren't always wise. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Notice where he sends them. I'm sending you to dangerous places. Therefore, be wise. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You know, there, there, there's, a, there's a lot of moments in life when you can make decisions that aren't wise. In, in the next verse, in that, in that chapter, he talks about uh, they're going to persecute you. Verse 17, I didn't give you the verse, but in verse 17, he said they're going to persecute you. I, I believe in persecution. I, I, I believe it happens. But I don't think you need to bring it on yourself. If you pull a gun on me and say, don't say Jesus' name one more time, I say, all right. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you shoot me. I can see it in my mind. I'm not going to say it out loud. Well, I'm going to say it out loud. That's not wise. I can't get to church. I'd be all hurt up. I could be in the hospital somewhere. Some of you are not wise. Somebody said they're going to hit you if you don't get out of my face. Why are you in their face? Back up. <laughs> no problem. Praise God. I'm telling you, I, 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 I don't see what you're trying to prove. What you're trying to prove? Who you trying, what you're trying to prove? What, what is all this about? I, I think there are times in life you're just not wise. You're just not wise. You just, you just go places and do things you don't need to do. 
Sometimes you get in situations, you can't control it. Sometimes things happen to you, you can't stop it. I mean, I've been in situations I didn't want to get into. I, I, was, I always tell the story, I've told many times about how I was in a place of ice cream, I was getting a sandwich, and the guy pulled a knife on me. I didn't know what in the, what in the world is that about, brother? What the hey? It's just a sandwich. I just, it's a sandwich. It's just a sandwich. What's the sandwich? It's a sandwich, man. You can have it. I don't want you. It was, you know, it was just the silliest thing in the world. It was the silliest thing. He looked like he had, he looked crazy. He had a, he had a cowboy boot on. He had a whole uniform. He had a cowboy thing on, and he had his match. At least he was matching. And uh, you know, when somebody pulled a knife on you. You remember what they had on? You know what I mean? And he had, you know, it was uh, it was studded all the way down, and he had on a cowboy hat with studs on it, and he was he looked like somebody from a cowboy show. And he's standing there. We was in line, and 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 uh, in Sacramento, California. You know where it was? It's right downtown. And he, I was standing there, and and Greg Foreman was with me, and Greg was standing way. <laughs> I ain't finishing way over there. <laughs> anyway, and I remember, I had, and, and, and it was three of us in line, and, and he was, you know, it was, it was three guys behind the counter serving people, and it was just him and me, and he was, he was there, and he was talking to that person. It was three people behind the line, and I'm standing here, so I talked to this person. Because they're talking to you. I'm thinking they're taking care of you, and this person's going to take care of me. And he looks over at me, and he reaches and pulls out a knife and slaps it open and says, the last person that uh, cut me, I killed them. <laughs> this is about to be persecution. You understand what I'm saying? This is a bad moment. So, you know, I, I had to do something. I did, I, you know, I had to do something. I mean, what am I going to I'm not going to get just stabbed. I don't know what you're doing. So I wisely took a couple of steps back. And I just didn't run. I said, I ain't going to run. He ain't going to stab me in the back. Now, I'm, you know, <laughs> shoot. <laughs> it's going to be on. You know what I'm saying? I'm going down swinging. I ain't going down like that. So I opened my jacket, and I put my hand in my jacket. I did. I put my hand in my jacket. Now, let me step out of the story. Greg is back here looking. And here's what Greg told me. He said, I wonder what Pastor Rick's going to do. That's what he said. So I'm just true story. I ain't making this up, man. The brothers, he got. So I put my hand in my jacket. You know, now I'm just thinking, you know, I, I grew up fighting so a little bit, you understand. So I'm thinking, okay, now, you know, uh, first of all, um, I'm, I got my eyes focused. You know, if you're going to, you know, if you know anything about martial arts, you know, you got to watch the hand. Because, and you got your feet and all that, you don't need to know all these lessons, but your feet work, you got to be in the right position so you can make your move. Because I was going to make my move. I was praying, now, Lord, you don't want me fighting in here. <laughs> but if he, if, he, if he make another move, I got to make a move. We got to do something because... I ain't going to, I'm not going, I got to go preach. That's why I'm in town anyway. You understand? I'm not going to go down like this. This is going to happen. So, so he, he, he got the knife. And, and, and so I, I said, you know what? You never know who you're talking to. You never have any idea who you're dealing with. And I looked at him. He looked at me. And I had my hand on Jesus. <laughs> That's all I had. <laughs> all I had in the jacket was Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But he didn't know what I had. And I looked at him, and I, I was up. Uh, and so uh, 
he uh, put the knife up. The people looked scared. They never scared. They didn't even say anything. <laughs> he put the knife up, walked out the door, and Greg said, man, that was awesome what you did. <laughs> Wisdom. Sometimes that's all you got. Say amen if you hear me. Every now and then in your life, you come into a moment where you need to not overreact. Try to manage it the best you can. And I believe there are times in life when these disciples needed to know that. Sometimes in life, even when you matter, you have a challenge. So don't, don't, don't be frustrated. Just be wise during your challenge. Say amen if you're hearing me. Now I want to close with, with what I call the long-term impact of the disciples. I want to show you what I believe was their long-term impact. Now this is important because these guys, over time, became amazingly important. Ephesians 2, 18, 19 says, they became, and verse 20, you are no longer, this is what Paul said to the Ephesian church, foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of the household, members of his household, built on the what? Foundation of the apostles and prophets. Paul said to the church of Ephesus, the foundation of your faith is built on top of these apostles, these 12 guys. These 12 guys who were fishermen and tax collectors and people who were average guys grew to be foundation. Here's the question. Whose foundation are you? Believe it or not, this church is laying a foundation for future generations. What we do here matters. How we impact people does matter. Sometimes you don't realize how much you matter. You really can lose sight of how much you matter. Your father many times forgot how much he mattered. Your, your grandfather can forget how much he matters. Your, grand, your grandmama, people in your family can oftentimes lose sight of how much they matter. So what I did was I put down things that I think are important to my world. And I call these the long-term impact I will have in my world. Things that I, I believe are important for me to realize. Number one, I have a financial impact, a spiritual impact, an emotional impact, a relationship impact, an identity impact. I believe I, along with you, directly affect how much we take in as a church. We all are connected to that reality, our resource base, what we have the power and the money to do. It's our corporate commitment. It's the same thing in your family, you and your wife, you and your family. You all make that decision. There's a spiritual impact. There's an impact that I believe has an incredible uh, impact on the atmosphere of everything in a church or ministry. There's an emotional impact. I, along with Diane, directly affect the emotional peace of our family. I, along with Diane, affect the emotional peace. If, if, if we're not careful, the peace in our family or extended family is directly hindered by us or helped. I, along with you, directly affect how we, well we relate to each other as a church. I, along with Diane and our family, directly impact how my kids see themselves. How, what we say to them, what I say to you as a church. 
Everywhere I go, I realize I have an impact in these five areas. So what kind of financial impact have you had? What kind of spiritual impact have you had? What kind of emotional impact have you had? What kind of relationship impact have you had? What kind of identity impact have you had? Be good to step back and, and look at that. How has your drinking affected your family? How has drugs affected your family? What impact has that had on the finances? What impact has it had on the relationships or the emotional stability? What impact have your choices made? What impact are you, are you bringing to the world you live in? It's so amazing that people forget that. But you are, you are, you are a person that matters. What you do matters. I've been doing some research because I've been getting these grandfather tips lately. My uh, first grandchild is coming in a few months, and so I've been hearing from people. Everybody's prophesying to me how I'm going to be. So I decided to reveal a little bit of my research, because I've been researching grandfatherhood for a while. This is my first public display, my first public speech. I have many more coming. I will write a book in several years, because I'm not qualified yet but I'm studying the grandparent people. The grandparent people are fascinating to me. And since I will be a grandfather person, I decided to study me. And so now, here are some of my conclusions. You ready? And these are scholarly research. I have given you my sources at the bottom of it, so you can go look it up yourself, that I am not just playing. And I want you to know, see, you know, you know it's funny? Everybody thinks, OK. When you see the baby, your life's going to change. And I, I agree with all that. I'm probably going to melt and you know, may cry a little bit or something. But okay, but at the end of the day, here's what I'm interested in. I'm interested, for real, I'm interested in, will I matter? That's the question. Will I matter? And if I matter, why will I matter? How will I matter? What is the impact I will have? And what can I do about it? So what I've done is I've written down a list of three things. I'll come back to you, I promise, in future teaching and give you more. The impact of a participating grandfather, the impact the relationship has on a grandfather, and what studies have proven, the impact of a teaching grandfather. Now, it's amazing that this whole area is new for me. And I just want to understand it. But the impact of a grandfather who participates, they say, there are two major relational outcomes. Number one, relationship satisfaction. They say you just have this incredible, wonderful satisfaction if you are a participating grandfather. Then they say there's relationship quality that happens, emotional closeness results from grandfather's contact and participation in activities with grandchildren. Now, what's interesting is that's a decision you have to make. You have to decide that you're going to be the kind of person who engages. I think this is so true for a lot of people, grandparents, but it doesn't matter, fathers. But the, the truth is that in my studies, I've learned that the grandfather has an impact when he participates. Can't just talk about it. Participates with the children. Secondly, the impact the relationship has on a grandfather. Now, what's interesting is, now this is really important to me. You have fewer depressive symptoms and greater levels of positive well-being than disengaged grandparents or grandfathers. 
When you are engaged, they say it helps you emotionally. You feel better when you go to your grandchild's game. You feel better when you're personally engaged. Disengaging harms you. See, I tell you the study's helping me. Now I want to talk lastly about the impact of a teaching grandfather. This I really love. Grandfathers teach grandchildren how to, these are studies, to endure personal health challenges and report enjoyment in teaching and conveying wisdom and experience. They teach you, boy, don't do this because your leg will be like mine. See right there? They have the power. And it's something about coming from a grandfather that's different than coming from anybody else. See, each person's been given a certain gifting. Young adults testify. This is what young adults say. They report that grandfathers have a modest influence on the development of religious, moral, and educational beliefs. Look at that. They affect your moral, religious, educational beliefs. They impact the family's ideals, the work, your work ethic, personal identity, as well as being influential on life goals related to wealth, health. It's amazing. And personal growth. Now, this shows you that if you really pay attention, and you're a grandparent here, grandfather in particular, you could be amazing. You could be an amazing person. Grandfathers were noted as being influential on first-time parents. When grandfathers speak to people who are first-time parents, now I perfectly didn't talk about grandmothers, because, because I think most grandmothers kind of get it. You get kind of yanked in. But grandfathers separate themselves. That's their natural trend. Go on there with your own. I hate you. I love all y'all. Goodbye. <laughs> but here's what the study said. Grandfathers were noted as being influential on first-time parents' per per perceptions of fatherhood. You help them perceive fatherhood in the right way. And many other family roles. You help them when you engage, when you're involved. Grandfathers, lastly, teach grandchildren, how to endure personal health challenges and report enjoying enjoyment in teaching and conveying wisdom and experience. It's amazing what you can do. It's amazing what you have the power to do. It's amazing how much you matter. You really matter. But you only matter if you do things that heal others. Do you matter? Yeah, if you help others. If I can convince you whether you're a grandfather or a grandparent or a Christian or a preacher or whoever you are to really focus on one thing, not just your life, to live in such a way that you are looking for ways to engage and help others. You're looking for ways to heal somebody else, like the 12 disciples. I love the verse, verse 17 of Hebrews, Matthew chapter 10, verse 17. As you go, here's what Jesus told them, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want you to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received. Read this with me, please. Come on. Freely you've received and freely you give. Now, I like that, but I put what I call my, I almost called the, they told me to change it because I had the Ricky Temple version, and that just didn't sound solid. So I said my own emphasis on that verse. And so I put a few words in here. Same verse but I want to emphasize you. You go and you preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is in hand. Verse 8, you heal the sick. You cleanse the leper. 
You raise the dead. You cast out demons. Now, you may say, I can't raise no dead. Yes, you can. Somebody whose hope is dead, dream is dead, feeling like they can't be alive. You can raise up people. You can change people's lives. Come on, say amen. Yes, you can. Come on, amen. Yes, you can. But you have to care. Do you make a difference? What makes you matter? I'll tell you what makes you matter. Doing something that heals people. They'll talk about you. Oh, they'll talk about you. They'll say, I was, I was going down, and then you called me. They'll get up and testify about you. I never will forget one of the most powerful funerals I've ever done. And it was a surprise to me because they were stepchildren. It's a blended family. And this blended family had big old boys, big old 6'5", 220-pound boys. I mean, they was giant boys, big old muscles, and they sat up there, and they got up on the stage. They were talking about their mother who died and their stepfather. And he got up there and he stunned me. That big old boy, about two, three of them got up there and he started to cry. He said, God sent him to save us. God sent him to change our lives. And that big old boy started crying and the other brothers started crying and I Sat there and I start crying. I thought, my God, big old men up here crying because God sent a man who mattered to that family. God sent a man who said, I'm not just here. I'm here to engage you. I'm here to play with you. I'm here to walk with you. I'm here to talk you through school. I'm here to help you go to college. Come on, say amen if you're hearing it. It was a phenomenal moment. And I saw that, that daddy get up out that chair, out that front row, grieving for his wife, went around the casket and came and stood with those young men while they both cried and testified about what he had done. And I said to God, Lord, let me matter. Lord, let me make a difference in somebody's life. Well, somebody at my funeral will get up and say, my life matters. I've done something that's beyond myself. I'm praying for a harvest for you. I'm praying for a harvest that will change your life. I'm praying for a harvest that will do something for you, but you got to fight for it. You're not going to make a difference unless you fight for it. You got to fight to care because everything in this world says don't care. Everything in this world says ignore everybody else. Everything in this world says just live and exist. But you need to say, no, if you're going to be a grandfather, you're going to be a unique one. If you're going to be a father, you're going to be a unique one. If you're going to be a pastor, be a good one. If you're going to be a servant, be a great servant. I want you to stand up on your feet. I want you to declare it with me that you're not going to just live. We're not going to just be a church. We're going to be an awesome church. We're going to touch this community. We're going to touch this people with the word of God. Come on, church. We're going to be different in Jesus' name. If you're home, I want you to catch the same spirit. Give the Lord a big praise. Come on, church. Shout amen with me. Hallelujah. Father, today we come honoring you. We embrace you today. Fighting for our harvest. Fighting to care. Fighting to matter. People do want God. Several million people are looking for God, looking for a church, looking for people that can share their faith. But they have to know we matter, that we care about them, that they matter, rather, and that we care about them. Help us, Lord God, to refocus our attention. Help us to care enough to call a hurting person we know. Help us to care enough to do something that will change a life. It could be a small thing.
we can have an awesome change. Can I tell you one more story? I love this man. His name was Jerry Cook. You can look him up. Jerry Cook was a preacher who used to always preach on a stool. Sit there for an hour and wear you out. Never would talk loud. Just sat on a stool. I met Jerry Cook when I was a freshman. And over the years, I became a friend of Jerry Cook. And I remember how engaging he always was. He learned your name. Say your name in the middle of the sermon sometime. I used to think, man. And I remember he told a story about a church he pastored in Oregon. A lady was in the store and she wasn't feeling good. She was kind of bent over, kind of holding on. And said he saw that woman, and a woman in this church just went over to her. Said, You all right? She said, no, I don't feel too good. And so she said, can I pray for you? And very quietly, without a lot of noise, just said, Lord Jesus, help this woman who's not feeling good today. Very quietly prayed a prayer. Didn't make a big deal and make a big show. And she said, thank you. The lady went on her way and got home and started feeling better. And her husband said, you know, you've been walking around the house looking pretty healthy today. You all right? She said, yeah, I'm fine. She said, you know, I just feel real good all of a sudden. And she said, well, did you do anything? He said, did you take some medicine? He said, no, I didn't take nothing. So I, that lady prayed for me in the store. I've been feeling better since she prayed. Small things can make a huge difference. Somebody cared. Somebody mattered. Somebody looked at her. I want you to leave out of here. Find people you can quietly pray for. Find people you can quietly do something for. You want to see our church have a great impact? Care. If I, if I raise up an army of caring people, God will do the rest. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. When we start loving people, God will move in our lives in ways you can never imagine. I'm telling you, it's a power in this. Loving people can change everything. You can make a whole lot of noise, but if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. Father, today we leave this place inspired today. May the love of God fill our hearts, whether we're in this building or whether we're home. May the love of God flow in our minds and hearts, and may we fall in love with people and fall in love with serving people. I thank you, and I give you all glory for this day. Now with every head bowed,